Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. We are talking about what it means to be a hero. And we're actually profiling a wonderful documentary film that has just come out entitled Rising Heroes, Superman is Real. So we're highlighting the aspects of heroism in the media, and I dare say in conscious media, because that is what we are doing here. We are preparing and broadcasting positive brain food. Award-winning filmmaker Brett Culp creates touching and emotionally gripping documentary stories. From tales of everyday superheroes to the stories of children in the villages of Haiti to the daring exploits of military legends, he uncovers powerful human experiences through inspiring, engaging filmmaking. Brett has been the personal cinematographer for movie stars, music icons, best-selling authors, Hall of Fame athletes, and royalty. He's been featured in USA Today, Wired, the LA Times, Entertainment Tonight, The Hollywood Reporter, Fast Company, and WeTV. The newest edition of the college textbook, Documentary Storytelling, devotes an entire chapter to Brett's unique organic production style, which focuses on on authentic storytelling. And that's really what we're talking about. He is the co-founder of the Rising Heroes Project, a not-for-profit organization that creates uplifting movies for charitable and educational purposes. Brett's feature-length documentary film, Legends of the Night, is an exploration of the potential all of us have to become heroes. Welcome, Brett. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm so happy to be invited. Well, this is a, a subject matter that is near and dear to my heart in the work that I do when I am not harvesting happy on the, happiness on the radio, and that is really helping others see the potential for the hero within them when they are going through what can be often called the dark nights of the soul. 
Yes. You know, it, we're we're living in times where sometimes it's easier to see and experience the darkness than it is to see the light. And I think there are, even though sometimes there are stories that overwhelm us, that feel like they're full of darkness, there are so many stories in the world full of light. And that has been the emphasis of what we've been doing with our not-for-profit, the Rising Heroes Project, is using our team's filmmaking skills to capture some of these positive, uplifting stories, creating documentary films, and then using those documentary films to, to spread light in the world. I love this. So talk a little bit about your background as a filmmaker and what the organization, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a 501c3 nonprofit, how, how you're using that as a vehicle to deploy these films. Absolutely. So, so my background is in working, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, with a wide array of individuals and organizations. I've traveled the world capturing stories, uh, amazing stories. And, and my skill, my background is in that style of documentary filmmaking. And as I was doing that, I realized, you know, I, I love what we're capturing and creating for these individuals and organizations. But, but we, uh, I as a filmmaker, I, I want to do something. I want to have a give back. And, and so the Rising Heroes Project is really my give back. We started it uh, about two years ago. And uh, the first film we used to distribute that we distributed through the Rising Heroes Project is a movie called Legends of the Night. And Legends of the Night's available right now. It's on Netflix and Hulu and uh, Amazon and iTunes. And it's a movie that tells the story of people who were inspired to become real life heroes because of their childhood love of Batman, made them want to be a superhero. And then they became superheroes and did something great in the world. And through our organization, we screened that movie in 100 cities all over the country, all over the world, really, with proceeds benefiting local charities in those cities. And it was just an amazing experience that made us say, "This, let's just keep doing this. Let's expand this and expand the focus of this. And that's what we're doing now. And, you know, you, you touch on something that is very, very powerful um, for those of us who have superheroes in our minds. And if you don't, I suggest that you get one because <laughs> they are very, very helpful in, um, in allowing us to focus some of our energy to begin to emulate or take on the powers of these people that we admire, these characters, whether it's Batman or or Superwoman or Luke Skywalker or Dorothy, I mean, th- 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 there's some meat here, right? This is really important. Absolutely, and that was the heart of our. It is the heart of our film, Legends of the Night, because I mean, there are stories within that film that that you know, for instance, a five year old little boy who you know was diagnosed with leukemia went into the hospital, took on really the the essence of Batman in his life said, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm going to overcome this illness, um, you know, and, and really that story became a strength that no words, no sermon, no, no, no bit of just, you know, text or information could have done. There's, there's a line in, in the film uh, that an expert shares who's a, a, a college professor who says, the first question that a child asks is, you know, it's not who I, what I want to be like, it's who I want to be like. And stories can give us that something to latch onto and say, even before we can make the moral decision to say, I want to be good, I want to be kind, I want to be a hero, we can say, I want to be like my dad, 
or I want to be like my grandfather, or I want to be like this character I just saw in a movie who did the right thing. And that's powerful. Indeed. And, and this follows a little bit of that hero's journey or the monomyth that Joseph Campbell spent a lifetime studying, exploring, and writing about. It, it absolutely is true. We find, I mean, I think we find, you know, for, for our film, for our last film, Legends of the Night, you know, we used Batman as an exploration of that because he was a character that has been in the public consciousness now for over 75 years. He keeps changing. He keeps evolving to match the needs of the culture. But that essence stays the same. And he is a certain archetype of hero that is different than than Superman or Spider-Man or Luke Skywalker. He's a different sort of character. And I think he's a character that that matches up with where a lot of us are in our in our consciousness at the moment, which is why that movie uh, was so impactful to so many people. And it, it inspired you to continue the work in Rising Heroes. And how do you match up with people who are needing your services? How do you find organizations or individuals that need to get the word out about their great works? Is it through nomination? Is it through, is they just call you up and say, hey, Brett? That's it. That's exactly <laughs> it. We, many or, I mean, we reach out to organizations actively to tell them what we're doing, but any person, any individual or organization can go to our website, risinghero.org, and contact us through that. And our film, Legends of the Night, is available um, for screenings, whether they're internal to your organization. We have youth organizations and organizations that focus on homelessness that use the film to inspire you know, the, the clients that they serve. So it's available at no charge for that. Um, and then we also have people that put together community screenings to encourage people in the community and raise funds for these organizations. And it is available. Legends of the night is available right now to all of those organizations at no charge. They just need to contact us through the website. And we're now actively working on our next film, look to the sky, which we can talk about in a minute, which will be available next, uh, well, this year, later this year in 2016. And we also have a book that's going to go with that movie as well, which we're very excited about. Oh, very cool. So the Rising Heroes Project, just for for my own clarification, is a- a- allowing Legends of the Night to be screened for free. And is that's- it necessarily profiling and, and, and highlighting the individual organizations or no? No, no. The, the movie Legends of the Night tells the stories. It, it's a film unto itself. Essentially, Legends of the Night is a tool. It is a, it is a film that's available to be used by these organizations as a tool that they can use to help their organization. And what we found, we didn't realize it, but when we first started working on Legends of the Night, we realized after it was done that there was an applicable message, this message that we all can be heroes – that connected with nearly every not-for-profit and charitable organization on the planet, even if they weren't, you know, even if they're not profiled in the film, that's not really what it's about. It's about that message of we all have the power to be heroes, which is what we're all, which is what most not-for-profits are focusing on in their communities. Indeed, indeed, and and that is true that that, that we all possess some gift, we all possess some talent and some resource. Not all of us have the money, but we might have the time, we might have the labor, we might have the compassion, whatever that is that we can use to 
pay forward, to serve others, to, to, to be present, to create a better world in which to live. That is what I hear is then the essence of what you're doing with the film. That, that's correct. That, that is exactly what we did with Legends of the Night and now what we're continuing to pursue with this next film. And because that message resonates with so many organizations and individuals, it has become a tool that has made a positive difference in, in many different communities. I can see where this film would be very inspirational in the recovery community. I spend a lot of my time serving young men and women who are in the throes of recovering from substance abuse, from addiction. Yes. And um, I would love to, to screen this for the group of young adults that I work with. So you and I will get together afterward and talk about Le- that. Legends of the Night is perfect for that because it tells the story of Bruce Wayne who experienced this horrible tragedy in his life, yet used it as the inspiration to do something wonderful and to still make a positive difference in the world. Even though it looked like he was broken, he, he used that as the inspiration to, to rise up and do something great. And that's exactly the circumstance many people who are going through recovery find themselves in. Indeed. To learn more about the film, please visit risinghero.org. On Facebook, the page is Brett Culp. And the Twitter handle is, guess what? At Brett Culp. Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on Addiction, an Integrated Journey to Wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own-nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about the hero that lives within each one of us. We're talking about a documentary film called Rising Heroes that was made made by my guest, Brett Culp. Prior to the break, we were talking about um, Legends of the Night, a film that uh, has been made, that Brett has made, and is used to inspire others through his nonprofit 
Rising Hero. And Brett, let's talk a little bit about um, your next film project, Look to the Sky, which you mentioned will also be, um, it's a film and a book. Yes, yes. Look to the Sky, which is going to be available for charitable organizations around the world to use at no, no cost. Um, it tells the story of young people who have exhibited the spirit of Superman in their life. Um, young people who have overcome difficult challenges or who have made a positive impact in the world uh, through their superhero heart and making a difference. And it's ultimately a movie at its core about hope. Uh, we live in a world where everything, oftentimes we feel like everything feels dark, um, you know, where, where it feels like we're going to be overwhelmed and, and hope doesn't feel real. And this film is really exploring hope uh, through the stories of these young people and the things they've been through and overcome. We're going to show that hope is real and that, that uh, we, can, uh, we can recover it in our lives if we've lost it. Uh, we're going to understand where it comes from and how we build it back into our lives and how we use it as a source of strength to move forward in the world, even when it seems like we're a small light living in a big, dark place. And, and that's our goal for this next film. And this really sounds like um, a perfect example of what conscious media is, a, is, is working towards to, in today's conscious media market. It's about having um, content really with purpose, you know, driving people to contemplate the big questions. Yes, and that's absolutely true for what for what we're doing. And I, and I think there is, you know, we are living in a time when we realize there is more than just being entertained. There's more than just um, passing the time that that we have this great potential within us uh, that that has been put within us that from the moment we were born to do something great in the world. And I think these kinds of films, these kinds of stories, these kinds of messages are very important as we move forward together. And when we talk about doing something great, you know, some people might say, well, I don't have the capacity for greatness. I don't have much education. I don't have much money. I, I, I don't really know my place in the world. And yet, within every demographic, within every community, there are people demonstrating greatness on a daily basis that don't have a lot. And I'm sure you've come in contact with those kinds of people. Yes, those, what you just described is the classic profile story we tell in our films. <laughs> you know, it's, it's people who are, and it's particularly what is going to make this next film powerful, Look to the Sky, is because all of the people in this next film are young people. They are all people who don't have power, and they don't have money, and they don't have influence, and they don't have political connections, and they don't have, they don't have all those things. And yet they have shown that through faith and belief and hope in not only their future, but the future of the world, that, that it's possible to make a significant impact, to make a difference, whether it's in, in their own life or it's in the community around them. And one of the best definitions I've, I've heard, uh, you know, as we've been through this process, you know, making these films about heroes and what heroes are, and this is not a definitive, you know, definition or explanation, but a hero is someone that does something that is hard for them, but they do it to make a difference in the life of someone else. And I think when you define it that way, it doesn't have to be a huge undertaking. You don't have to change the world. But just making a difference in one life or in your family or in your community, that's a heroic act. 
I agree. You know, and when I think about uh, these tiny acts of heroism, to me, it's about wanting to leave the planet just a smidge better than when I arrived, whatever that looks like. Yes, yes. And finding in the journey that that exploring life that way leaves you so much more fulfilled, so much happier, so much more feeling like your life has meaning than if you just pursue what you want for yourself. That selfish motivation is is a dead end. And I've found it in my own life and in the stories and lives of so many others. Indeed, I have come to know the same experience, that it is in the ability to show up for life, to be connected, to be true to oneself mm. and um, lead by this superhero heart that you describe. That is what has made all the difference. And and that's been what's been so rewarding, not only about these films we've created through the Rising Heroes Project, but then what we've done with them. You know, the, again, the let our past film. This is the plan for Look to the Sky as well. But our previous film, Legends of the Night, it screened in over a hundred cities, and I personally got to be at about twenty five of those screenings, and 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 to be there. And to see the charitable organizations engaged in those, to know that we were raising money for that, and to spread the superhero spirit through what we were doing in that community, it was such a, a joyful feeling. I mean, I, I sometimes I would be in a city and you know we'd be together with about 100, 150 people at a screening, and I would say, this is better than premiering at Sundance. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is such a rewarding experience for me – to be part of this, to feel like we're making a difference. And I think we all, in, every, in the things we do in our careers, in our family, in our work, um, in our spiritual life, we all have that capacity to find ways to use what we're given and use what we have to give back and help other people. You know, you mentioned something interesting about the, the feeling, the sensation that you have when you're present at a smaller screening of your film versus being at perhaps a more recognized, larger festival that, I mean, let's be truthful. Yes, it's wonderful to have your film um, screened at some of these fabulous festivals around the world, but they are orchestrated environments. Whereas when you're showing your film to a group of people who are who are interested in its theme because they are looking for it to touch them in some way has got to be a great feeling. That's, that's truth. it, It is, you know, every time you make a film, there's two sides to it. There's the business and the financial side, and then there's the meaningful side, the artistic side. Why did you do this? And, you know, I always would much rather sit in a room and talk and talk about and experience people being inspired and uplifted then sit in a room and have people try to sit and figure out how they can make money with what you've just created. Uh, you know, if you ask me which of those two rooms I'd rather sit in, it's an easy <laughs> question. And so, you know, I, I think I think with all of our worlds and all of our lives, we have to figure out those questions about, you know, how do I pay the bills and, you know, how do I get this done? There, there's always that practical question. But but then we also you can't have a rewarding life without pursuing the other side of it without feeling like you wake up every morning and say and be able to say to yourself how did what i did today how is what i'm going to do today make going to make the world a better place and whenever i encounter someone who feels like they can't say that about what they do then it's time to pursue something different uh because that is got to be part of the rewarding experience but i also challenge people often to say 
Sometimes it's just a shift in perspective. Sometimes you don't need to change the external things. Sometimes you are with what you're doing, even if it's driving a bus or working at you know, a fast food restaurant or waiting tables or cleaning the floor. You are making the world a better place. It's just about shifting your perspective so that you can see that and experience it and feel it in your soul every day. It reminds me of a piece I saw on one of the news channels several months ago, and in where it was was irrelevant, but it was a, the story of a man who had been a janitor in a school in the South for several decades, and how he took his role at that school as something that was so much deeper and more important than waxing floors. And he was talking about how he had mentored several dozen, if not hundreds, of young men in particular that had grown up in in fatherless homes mm-hmm. and helped um, keep them off the streets, keep them off of drugs, and directed to move their lives towards the university experience and, and giving back. Yes, yes. And that was a, a simple way that he could use where he was and what he had to make a difference. And I think we all if we're willing to open our eyes or open the eyes of our hearts to see those sorts of experiences, they, they're there. And when we stop focusing on ourselves and start opening our eyes to the needs of others, we find there are ways within our power, within our realm of influence, that we can make a difference. And, and, and hence, you know, the rising hero within each one of us, that we all That's have correct. this capacity. And I love the work that you're doing because it, it brings it home, it highlights it, it allows us to see that anybody can go out and make a difference. Anybody, anybody can do this. You, you, it's, you've got it in you. It's there already. Just turn the lights on a little bit. That's right. That's right. That, that's correct. And, and you've nailed it exactly. And that's what we're trying to inspire in everyone that views our film and engages with it in a positive way. Um, how can listeners get involved with this project? Yeah. So by visiting uh, our website, risinghero.org, you can learn more about what we're doing. You can watch some videos there that show what we're doing, how we're doing it, what a screening looks like. And you can actually uh, not only host your, a screening, put, put a screening together of Legends of the Night, but we actually have this unique partnership with an uh, organization called TUG, that's T-U-G-G, that allows people to request a screening of our film Legends of the Night at their local movie theater with the proceeds from that screening going to the charity of their choice. So we've not only made it out, uh, you know, uh, the opportunity available as a, hey, you can put it together, but we've even streamlined it. Um, and all the details about how that works and how you put it together and how many tickets you need to sell and all that, it's all on the website. So what I hear you saying is there's a, a the paying it forward aspect in this is tremendous as well. It's not just about raising awareness for the individual, but it's about doing something good for the the greater collective good. Yes, that's correct. We wanted when we finished the film and and now we're working on this next film, we wanted to give people an opportunity, a kind of a turnkey way that they could make a difference in their community. And that's that's the other piece that this has been about, is trying to give people the opportunity to not only be inspired by this film, but to use it in a way that makes a difference in their world. Well, thank you, documentary filmmaker Brett Culp, for being with us. To learn more, please visit the risinghero.org website. Once again, that's risinghero.org. On Facebook, the page is Brett Culp, 
And on Twitter, you may reach out to Brett at Brett Culp. The films, once again, are Legends of the Night. And the project now in production is Look to the Sky in both a a film and book format. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing the inspiration of the Rising Heroes Project, Brett Culp. Thank you again. Thanks for inviting me. It was a joy to be with you. Likewise. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at HarvestingHappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user-friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's HarvestingHappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Kamen has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit Visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about awakening the hardiness of the modern day superhero that lives within us all. And we're also talking about mental fitness and emotional muscle tone. You know, in 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 much of modern psychology or psychopharmacology or psychiatry, the trend is to guide the client or patient towards um, drug interventions when we're dealing with increasing our emotional hardiness. But at the same time, one of the things that we can train for, literally, like training for a marathon or altering our nutrition regime for better wellness and, and, and health, is to train our minds, train our brains. And that's what we're talking about with my next guest. Eric Maisel was born in the Bronx, New York, where he lived until the age of five. 
He grew up in Brooklyn, attended Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan, and briefly attended Brooklyn College. After serving in the Army in the 60s, he attended Oregon State University and the University of Oregon. Go Ducks! My daughter is a duck. I just have to throw that in there because I'm so proud. Um, He earned his degree in creative writing from San Francisco State University while ghostwriting mysteries and nonfictions and self-publishing nonfictions. In the 80s, he returned to school and earned a second bachelor's degree in psychology, a second master's degree in counseling, and a doctorate in counseling psychology. Eric, Dr. Eric Maisel writes, the rethinking, I'm sorry, let's start that over. Let's just change that one line there. Dr. Eric Maisel writes, the rethinking mental health blog for Psychology Today Online, a monthly print column for professional artist magazine, and occasional pieces for the Huffington Post. He hosted 100 episodes of The Joy of Living Creatively and Your Purpose-Centered Life with the Personal Life Media Network. He provides core trainings for the Creativity Coaching Associations, and he can be found at ericmazel.com. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's lovely to be here. You have been with us before, and I love having you back because we are very much aligned in our opinions when it comes to just quickly medicating somebody. And what's wrong with that? And what's wrong with our current mental health system? Well, if you have a physical illness, uh, quickly medicating someone might be exactly the way to go. But if you hate your job or hate your life or feel betrayed by life or we could name a million things. It does not make sense to think of that as an illness, but rather as a reaction to life. And the idea that there should be a pill that should help you take care of those kinds of problems is really as absurd an idea as that scotch or marijuana or anything, any other kind of chemical with an effect can really help you with those kinds of life experiences. So right now, the paradigm, the mental health paradigm, is to quickly, so to speak, diagnose and quickly prescribe. You know, and it's one thing if an adult buys that interaction. I hope that adults won't. But for me, the biggest tragedy is how many children are being diagnosed with, so to speak, or so-called mental disorders and being given multiple psychiatric medications for things that are not mental disorders at all, but just everyday reactions to childhood. You bring up something that is very important. When clients express to me uh, that they're depressed or they're sick and tired or feeling sick and tired, and, and, and I think we can all agree that we as humans are really suffering averse. None of, us, none of us really wants the pain and suffering. None of us truly enjoys it. And yet it happens. It's part of the human condition. And when that is the case... I like to ask people to consider what that discomfort is telling them. Because like you say, the uh, idea is to make it go away. So if we give somebody a pill and we tell them this is going to make their discomfort go away, the buy-in is strong because none of us likes the suffering. Yeah, and often a person can't answer that question because they may have given up on life a long time ago. They may have come to the conclusion that life is a cheat because they had certain dreams and ambitions when they were 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and now they're not living that life. So it can be hard for a person to answer that question, which is why I really suggest that helpers ask about life purpose and meaning. Mm -hmm. 
Because if you don't get those kinds of issues on the table, if you don't help a person think through what his or her life purpose choices might be, or what his or her meaning opportunities or meaning investments might be, if you don't have language like that, then it's very hard for a person to get to the deep place they need to go to help them understand what's going on in their lives. What I hear you describing is that with the absence of life purpose comes an invitation for the darkness to live. Yeah, despair comes. And, you know, you use the depression word, which, of course, is natural to use since everyone uses it. But old-fashioned words like sadness and despair have almost vanished from our vocabulary, which makes it so easy for the drugging of people. Because if you walk in and you use everyday language and you say, I'm depressed, meaning a normal experience, well, the person across from you is going to say, yes, you're depressed. That's a, that's a mental disorder, disorder. That's a clinical diagnosis, and we have a pill for you. So language is really harming people. If people use the everyday language of diagnosis on themselves, they're setting themselves up for a transaction where at the end of the transaction, they're going to walk out with a prescription. And I think it's important and responsible to say that in some cases, medication can be very, very helpful. It is overprescribed and most often by a general practitioner or in the case of women, by their gynecologist. The problem is, again, languaging. These aren't medications. They're chemicals with strong effects. Mm-hmm. For it to be a medication, there has to be an underlying illness, and there's no underlying illness to life. So these aren't medications. These are chemicals with strong effects. And now, to piggyback on what you're saying, you may want those effects. So I'm not against chemicals with strong effects. A person in a hole, a person suicidal, a person who can't get up may need the powerful chemicals that pharmaceutical companies can create. That's very different from taking actual medication for an actual illness. Yeah. The, 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 the human condition is not an illness is what I hear you say. And you suffering know, is not a mental disorder. No, suffering is part of the human condition. It's, it's going to come for each one of us at some point, and how we deal with that suffering is what will make us the, the hero or shero of our life or the victim of the story. Yeah, and for children, squirming is not a mental disorder, although now it's ADHD or one of those things. Saying no is not a mental disorder, although now we have oppositional defiant disorder. If you say no too many times as a child, you have a mental disorder. So transforming all of the natural reactions to life of childhood into mental disorders is really horrible. And parents are pressured to buy these diagnoses because, of course... Establishment players want nice, quiet children. Teachers need a ruly rather than unruly classroom, etc. So there's a lot of pressure on parents to buy into this diagnostic system. And what's happening recently, it's really pretty awful, is the idea of stopping children from maybe catching something down the road, prophylactic use of these chemicals, even in children as young as five or six or seven months old. So I just hope people can wake up a little bit to, again, if adults want to do this, that's one thing. But 
I hope someone will speak for the children who don't need to be treated this way. The overmedication of of children is rampant, and I and I, I I have two children, and one is the duck I mentioned prior, but I have a son who's in high school, and I know that from speaking with him and his and his friends, that so many of the kids are given medication for ADD or ADHD, or anxiety medication or antidepressant medication because it is convenient for the school to bring the child into the zone of conformity rather than. Uh, create programming that meets the kids where they're at. It's just yes. more cost effective. It's a social control issue. That's correct. Yes. Yes. And but, this, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, historically, psychiatric medication has been used a lot for social control purposes. Um, and the the whole idea of diagnosing has been used for social control purposes Way back when, a very long time ago, if you were a slave who didn't like it, that was a mental disorder. If you were gay, that was a mental disorder, till it wasn't, till some, till some guys sitting around a table said, let's not call that a mental disorder any longer. We had feeble-minded Indians, that idea, another way of chastising and castigating people. Jews in Nazi Germany had mental disorders. Being a Jew was a mental disorder. Being a dissident in Soviet Russia was a mental disorder. So it's been historically charming to use the psychiatric apparatus to hold people down and create these mental disorder labels where no mental disorders existed. Mm. And the mental disorder or the label or the diagnostic code that's provided to clients in fact, can, in, in, in my observation, keep them sick, keep them stuck in story, and create such a stigma that it makes it very, very difficult for them to climb out of the hole. And it's for all time. You're never yeah. cured. You're only in remission. It's right. schizophrenia in remission, or you're between clinical depression episodes or what have you. So it's not just that you get the label. It's that you get the label forever the label and the life sentence. We're going to need to go to a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion with Dr. Eric Maisel. To learn more, please visit his websites. And they are www.ericmaisel.com and www.thefutureofmentalhealth.com. And that is really what we want to continue talking about is the future of mental health and the stigma that does exist with the present diagnostic codes and system, and then really talk about the solution, which in my estimation, and I think with Eric as well, comes from this concept of mental fitness and emotional muscle tone. You know, how do we increase our resiliency and hardiness? Here come those tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. 
Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H-Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress-Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question? What makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about mental fitness with Dr. Eric Maisel. He is um, a, a psychologist. He creates content he writes for psychology today online and we're talking about um, I, I do have to interrupt you because n- not only I'm, am i not a psychologist saying it gets me into trouble i'm a psychotherapist i'm a licensed family therapist and these are you know these small issues in in the profession as to who's called what but unfortunately i have to be careful about this and i'm not a psychologist thank you for clarifying it and point well taken. And then that is very important. Very, very important. But you have a lot of experience. You have a lot of empirical knowledge, a lot of research, and you have written a lot on the subject about treating mental disorders with psychiatric medications, about psychotherapy as treatment for mental disorders. And I want to talk a little bit about that too, because a, a lot of your work is geared towards creating meaning and, and, and living a purpose-driven or purpose-centered life. But let's talk about psychotherapy and where that lands in this. Psychotherapists are stuck, generally speaking, because even those who do not want to use the DSM, that's the American Psychiatric Association Bible, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of the American Psychiatric Association, that's where the diagnosing comes from. Even psychotherapists who don't want to use that because they don't believe in it for insurance purposes typically have to diagnose. So very often there is this collusion between psychotherapist and client where the psychotherapist says, you know, if you to be reimbursed, we have to come up with a diagnosis here. So you say you're, you know, sad a lot. Let's call it clinical depression, okay? Or you say you're, an anx- you're anxious a lot. Let's call it generalized anxiety disorder, okay? And so the client says, sure, if that gets me reimbursement, that's fine. Not quite realizing that now he or she has gotten a diagnosis for life. So that part of the interaction is not, is not at all benign. 
And psychotherapists should stop doing that. Of course, it's their lifeblood to get that insurance reimbursement. So it's very hard for them to stop that, but they really should. As to what's going on there, the idea that talk should cure a so-called mental disorder is very odd. It's a very odd idea. It's a very odd idea that a master's level therapist who might be a licensed therapist in her state somehow should be dealing with pseudo-medical ailments like medical disorders. How could she possibly be qualified for that? Well, she is because there are no medical disorders there. So there are lots of secrets and games going on in psychotherapy about what's going on or what's not going on. I completely believe that a sympathetic person sitting across from you can be helpful. I completely believe that that's possible. But that's not the same as making believe that psychotherapy is a pseudo-medical profession uh, dealing with the diagnosing and treating of mental disorders. You know, it's funny what you say, because I, um, I practice applied positive psychology coaching. I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I have an education in psychology. And what I find most interesting about what I get to do with clients is it's, from my discipline, it's far less about what they feel about what's going on, more about what they're willing to do to make a change. 100%. Even Freud said insight is one thing, but then the work begins. Yes, yes. And most psychotherapists um, don't focus on getting work done. Again, there's a bit of a collusion about going over history over and over again, quote, going over patterns. You know, this is not really to knock psychotherapy, but maybe it is to embrace coaching because I am a, I'm a therapist and a coach and I train coaches and I like the active directive piece of coaching. I think it is more useful for a person to name what he's going to try in this coming week, even if it's a small thing, than to talk some more about the past. So I completely agree. It is a, uh, it is a phenomenon, and I do see a lot of progress being made when somebody is given control of their lives back in their hands. Because yeah, usually they going, show up feeling out of control, right? They, they, come, they come to a practitioner because they're not happy with the way things are. That's right. And the practitioner has to say, you know, you've been doing things a certain way. It's not going to be easy to change. So we're going to pick a smallish thing for the week. We're not going to throw everything over. We don't know. We, neither of us believe that's possible. But we're going to pick something that's doable. And slowly but surely, we're going to change your circumstances if that's what needs changing, upgrade your personality if that's what needs upgrading, etc. Love that. <laughs> you know, we're going to do the work, and we'll do it slowly and we'll do it carefully, but we're really going to do it, and that's what makes a difference. You describe someone you call a human experience specialist, and I do like this term a lot, and argue that she ought to become the mental health helper of the future. Talk about this a little bit. I think that all of the current helpers, whether, and there are lots, there's lots of lingo here, psychiatrist, psychologist, psychotherapist, family therapist, counselors, etc. So there's a lot of naming going on, but all of them are connected to the diagnosing and treating paradigm that's broken. 
plus not enough is taken into account of the actual human experiences of the person sitting across from them. If they're unemployed, if they're in poverty, it's, we could name a million circumstances, a million experiences that matter in real lives. And very often those experiences and circumstances are not taken into account in the therapeutic setting. So I'm arguing that we need a person who starts out with the human experience, who cares about what's going on in the life of the person sitting across from her. And rather than caring too much about history, about the person's history, or the pseudo-medical part of diagnosing and treating, is much more concerned with the actual lived life of the person. And if we were to start there, then people would have to take more responsibility for making the changes they need to make. Aha, the responsibility angle. You know, and I'm smiling, I'm grinning from ear to ear because that is, uh, that's the lottery ticket right there. Is once we begin to take responsibility for our circumstances, we can begin to change them. And take responsibility in a clear and bold way. I think one of the reasons that 12-step programs work, that Alcoholics Anonymous works for so many people, not for everyone, but for an awful lot of people, is getting up and saying out loud, I'm an alcoholic. It's that standing up and speaking. It's that brave gesture. It's that cracking through denial. It's that admission that matters so much. So if you can get the person, if you're a human experience specialist or whatever you are, a helper of some sort, if you can get the person sitting across from you to say, you know, I hate my job. Or, you know, it's whatever it is, or I'm not at all happy with how angry I get, or I'm not at all, that is, admit to certain personality flaws or personality difficulties, make some admissions. If you can get the person across from you to make some admissions, then you're, if not halfway home, you're certainly on the road to helping that person really explore and ventilate what's going on and make changes. If someone who's listening is currently in emotional distress, what are some first steps that you could recommend towards getting help? And we don't have a lot of time left, so this would be just an abridged version. Well, I guess getting educated. Um, I have a, a reading list of more than 100 books at my website, thefutureofmentalhealth.com. So there's a lot of reading that can be done. Also, the British Psychological Society has a website that they maintain, and they have lots of free, they call them reports, but they're basically book-length books on different aspects of what we're talking about, understanding bipolar, understanding depression, understanding psychosis, etc. So I think the first place, if the person is up to it, the first place is to get a little educated on not just what the paradigm is, but what the counter-paradigm is, and the sorts of things that he or she can do um, to get help now. Also, just to say this quickly, I'm currently interviewing 100 um, experts on my blog, um, Rethinking Mental Health for Psychology Today. And so just visiting the blog and reading the interviews with these 100 folks from all over the world who have a different vision of how to help from the medical model, that might be interesting also. Indeed. And also, I, we, we touched upon this at the beginning of our talk, 
talk, and that is about building better resilience, about understanding and learning ways of coping with life when it does get uncomfortable, how to create meaning out of the things that happen to us in our lives, how to find and ignite passion and, and creativity when things get challenging. These yeah, are also tools. And also, most folks don't really possess useful anxiety management tools. A lot of what goes on in life makes us anxious, and then we mistake that anxiety for something else. We mislabel it. Folks need good anxiety management tools, and there are many available to them. I go through a whole 20 different anxiety management tools in a book of mine called Mastering Creative Anxiety. I think that's a really useful step in a person's life to figure out how to what actually works to reduce their stress and reduce their anxiety. And that falls into the category of, of lifestyle management and how to do that in a proactive and positive way. To learn more, please visit www.ericmazel.com and www.thefutureofmentalhealth.com. Thank you, Eric, for being with us and sharing some of your, your time and your heart with us. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Brett Culp and Eric Mazel, wishing you kind words, kind thoughts, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.